and welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is October 4th, 2023. And this is, what is it, episode 379 at this point? Yeah, it's getting pretty long in the tooth. But my name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we're going to celebrate before the anxiety kicks in. We'll also prepare to get down like Joe Saunders. Oh, that's a little tease, but we'll get down to it um, right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? Well, Scott, it's a celebratory evening. Yes. And so I I may have been already through the cheap stuff. Mm, the Michelob is gone. Worked my way. No, I worked my way through a Corona okay. in the pre-show. And now I am drinking a Hazy Cannon, Hazy IPA from Heavy Seas. I am also doing a Heavy Seas beverage, but again, it is once again their Orange Crush cocktail. Once again, not a pumpkin beer for you, Jake. I appreciate that. You know, Scotty, I attended the Ocean's Calling uh, Music Festival this past yeah, weekend. Yeah, how was that? It was excellent. Mm-hmm. First of all, the lineup was great. Uh, did, I thought. Did it, you get your nineties out? I did. I did. The only the only band I missed seeing mm-hmm. and was very disappointed about was Toad the Wet Sprocket. Mm. I did not get that 90s. Uh, I did not get that 90s. I think I saw plenty of Toad the Wet Sprocket during each of festivals in the past, so I'm not sure if I needed to see that. But the reason I bring it up is that that festival for Sarah and I was fueled exclusively by orange and grapefruit crushes. That's good. That's good. No Lisa Loeb appearances, I'm assuming. No, no, not so much. The, mo- the most that we got 90s was, you know, was Gin Blossoms. And- yeah. Alanis Morris. Alanis showed up, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she was great. Yeah. No, it was great. It's great. But again, for us, powered by the local establishment selling crushes. I'm really shocked that you didn't go with any gin tonics during the gin blossoms, but say la vie. Sorry, I'm just not that interesting. Yeah. But if you'd like to find out how not interesting we are, come find us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, it's time for a checkup. All right, so uh, medical wing is pretty bare bones. Everyone has kind of cleared out for the season. You know, things have kind of been set in place. However, we have come to the end of a journey for Felix Batista. Yeah, it was a pipe dream. It was a pipe dream, but, but it was a beautiful pipe dream. It just seemed like we were so close. Like when the sim game happens, you're like, oh my gosh, is this really going to happen? Um, but you know, I I, I think you know it. it comes to the point where, you know, you looked at it and I think, you know, Elias even mentioned it. They just ran out of time. And mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I kept saying it during that last week of like, they have to eva- activate Batista. They have to activate Batista. Like if he's going to get into a game, you know, he's got to start doing this now. So once they clinched on Thursday, I'm like, if Batista is not activated by Friday, it's probably not going to happen. And sure enough, you know, it's, you know, it, it happened before then, but yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Felix. And again, it's not just, you know, him missing out on the playoffs, but it's also him missing out on all of next year as well for 2024. Um, but, you know, hopefully he's able to come back and be his dominant self like he was this this season and last season. Let me ask you, do you feel here in 2023 
that Tommy John surgery is becoming less of a question mark as far as what will the guy be like when he comes back? I, I I think less or so on that basis. But again, even for like Felix Batista, it's such a unique offering that he has in terms of the fastball and the splitter. So, I mean, I feel like he's going to be able to come back um, on that basis. But, you know, you just never know. Um, and again, by the time he comes back um, in, in 2025, he'll be approaching 30. He'll be 29 going on 30 in June of that year. I, I think he'll be okay. Um and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, it was good to see him. Um, they actually, Orioles, you know, under the radar. I don't think this got really followed by too many people. Uh, but the Felix Batista did agree to a contract extension uh, for two years. Has Tommy John surgery. Going to get $2 million. So, again, that lets him have a monetary basis for next season. And going into 2025, um, avoids the whole awkwardness of the arbitration process. Um, I love that. So I, I think that's the right. I think that's the right call. And again, amazing. I don't think we would have seen that before back in the day. I mean, this is a team that, uh, in essence, was bartering with Trey Mancini to say, like, will you take extended payments in the future so that we can not pay your arbitration? What do you think about these magic beans, Trey? Yeah. So I mean, I think you know it, it's a sad situation. I think it's something to kind of keep an eye on with Felix as he kind of rehabs next year. Um, Because I certainly think he'll be, you know, not coming up to the majors, but you'll start seeing him throw from flat mounds and, you know, from a mound situation in the second half of the year. Um, Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation. Let's just call it out like that. And and it's crazy. You know, I I think in this situation, you you brought up the fact that they've extended him for the two years. They, you know, have, have eliminated that entire question. Sure. It's also a situation in which the player didn't have to try. Sure. You know, the player didn't have to try to make it back. Just say, I'm done. Yeah. It's not going to happen. I need to preserve my body. It's crazy to me that we have a situation where everybody did the thing that we as fans hoped that they would have done. That we would have asked them to do. Right. And that, that like, never happens. Yeah. So, again... It's unfortunate that it happened. We we called it a pipe dream at the very beginning. You know, at the last podcast, we're like, this might actually happen. Um, unfortunately, you know, fairy tales can't always happen. Um, and we'll see Felix Batista back in 2025. Um, I'm sure the Orioles will be eager to have him. Um, and it will be great seeing him back on the mound again. And we'll see, you know, who fills that role for Felix Batista, if anybody can, in 2024. Um, and we'll go from there. Um, nothing else really going on big on the medical wing, um, in my opinion, unless you can think of something. No, but I, I do want to say, like, it's pretty great that the Orioles are going into the playoffs at nearly full strength. And I don't want to under undersell the loss or, or, of or jinx it. Felix, but yeah. I don't want to do that, too. Stay away from potholes, guys. Yeah. Um, but the Orioles are going into the playoffs relatively healthy. Sure. I mean, if you think about 2012 and you think 2014, um, you know, the Orioles were missing key players in that playoff hunt. Yeah. And, you know, you think about Marquecas being out in 2012. You think about Machado being out in 2014. No, I don't think about Marquecas being out in 2012 because it makes me sad. And you're absolutely right that going into the playoffs, the Orioles have a ton of individuals available at this given moment. Um, is Marquecas one of them? Marquecas is not one of them. That's a bummer. But now I'm sad again. We'll see what happens. This is the most famous crime. We'll get to that later in the in the show. But let's go 280 characters less this week on the Twitter. Jake, why don't you kick us off this week? Absolutely. We are going to start ourselves with a tweet from Baseball Doesn't Exist. I'm not sure I love that. At Baseball Doesn't. 
The Kansas City Royals, who lost 106 games this year, had more fans at their final game, 20,662, than the Tampa Bay Rays had for their playoff game yesterday, 19,704. Scotty, I am not not lobbing bombs at the Rays here because they are a a division rival. Mm Mm-hmm. But I am saying that that's kind of disturbing to me for baseball. The Rays should be a great story. If if they were not another AL team, it would be so easy to sure. root for the Rays. And the Rays just signed on to stay in St. Pete, right? Yep. It has to be better than this. It has to be better than this. And this may, raises a, a major, like, asterisk class exclamation point over the Rays franchise and the Rays fan base to being like, if I were, you know, that municipality, I'd be asking a serious question like, are we really going to spend all this money for this, is the best way to put it. It just looks really bad, um, is the best way to describe it. So, yeah, I don't want to harp on it too much. Um, but again, you can take a look at the wild card festivities that have been occurring in Milwaukee, Minneapolis, and Philadelphia. Um, and we always talk about you know Minneapolis and Milwaukee being small market teams. Um, there's no excuse for Tampa. It's, it's just let's just go with that. There's no excuse. And I, I'm un, unfamiliar with uh, Florida geography. I'm outside of Sarasota, uh, but the the trip from Tampa to Tampa Bay to, excuse me, Tampa to St. Pete is not nothing, right? But it's like 45 minutes, right? Exactly. I'm sorry. I live in Bel Air. Yeah. And sometimes it can take way longer than 45 minutes for me to get to an Orioles game. If anyone wants to Venmo me 20 bucks, (laughs) I'll give you an address and uh, you can do whatever you want to Jake's, uh, you know, front porch. I'm just saying that is ridiculous. To not go to a playoff game? Yeah. They didn't sell out a playoff game. Yeah, it's re- it's weird is the best way to describe it. Absurd. Yeah, Jake. So uh, we are hosting a playoff game. Um, I'm you sorry, know, what? This upcoming Saturday. Hmm. Um, and, you know, Jake, honestly, I- I've never had a place that I could call my very own. Um, but that's all right, my love, because you're my home, Camden Yards. And uh, the Orioles say, we cannot wait to see you, Birdland, from at Orioles. Saturday's game will start at 1 p.m. First of all, you are my home, a great deep track <laughs> off of the Piano Man album. Fantastic reference, sir. No problem. I, my hat is off to you. No problem. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about when will game one be. We all knew when game one was going to be. Like, this is not a mystery, in, in my opinion. Like, everyone's losing their mind. My only question was, is it going to start at 12 o'clock or is right. it going to start at 1 o'clock? 12.35 like, or 1 o'clock. Like, it, it was just that question of, like, is it a 12 o'clock game or is it a 1 o'clock game? Like, it's going to be somewhere in that ballpark and it's not going to be any later than that. Um, so I, I think there's two things that I, I come out of this. Like, I, my mind was already made up on this one. Like, it was going to be that time. I think the more intriguing thing to me is this. Um, and this is this is going to be us going a little Baltimoreans just really quickly on this oh, one. Oh, no. And it's not, like, true Baltimorean standpoint, but we'll call it Baltimoreans light. Um I think this is a really good opportunity to see how the Baltimore City municipality does with an influx of um, traffic, um, both in terms of cars, people walking around, and everything like that. Um, and I'm, that's not you know anything as it relates to you know the, the many we'll call it 
uh, you know, conservative talking points out there in terms of crime, but I'm specifically talking about the aspect of folks have gotten really upset before in the past because people have like, why was Baltimore not chosen for a World Cup game? Why was Baltimore not considered to be, you know, potentially a joint host for, you know, an Olympic bid with the with the city of DC? And in reality, we've we've talked about this as it relates to the city of Baltimore, which is like to get in and get out of Baltimore and from a parking standpoint is is not the greatest. Um, and it's not like there is a great, we'll call it public transportation option on that basis. Um, and, and compared to most cities. And so if we if we want great things, we should be able to get our S together for a concert and a big baseball game. That's kind of my point. Yeah. Is, is the best way to describe yeah. it, which is like if you can't in essence hold a baseball game that is going to have, you know, 45,000 people at it. Oh, it um, won't be 17,000. It will not be 17,000. Hmm. Um along with another maybe like 10 or 15,000 that's kind of just meandering around downtown because of, you know, festivities and stuff like that. Pickles. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then another 80,000 that are going to be going to M&T for a Billy Joel concert right around that same time. If you can't handle, we'll call it 150,000 people in your downtown area, I'm sorry, you're not a major metropolitan city um, that is going to be able to host major events going forward in the future. Scott, Scott, Scott. If they're going to do if, that. Is this going to be your Sheila Dixie and Trump speech now? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> if, if they're going to be expected yeah. to handle this well, they're going to need to drastically increase tax revenue. Oh, mm, oh, mm. sorry. That's that's a different yeah. that's a different thing. Uh, I'm going to be one of the people attending both double dipping. I'm going to double dip, and I am so excited. So, How tired do you think the baby boomers are going to be that go to both the Orioles game and the Billy Joel game, our Billy Joel concert that evening? Boomers. How tired am I going to be? I mean, you're technically are a boomer. Like, I know by age, you're not a boomer. But let's be frank. Anybody that has listened to this podcast is just like, Jake English is the baby boomerish of all Orioles fans out there. Uh, I'm super excited. My mom got tickets to this concert, and she called and asked if I would go with her. And I'm you're super excited. You're going to your concert with your mother? I am. Wow. The thing you have to understand, Scotty, is that uh, my mom... Boomer! <laughs> beyond being awesome my mother and, and a boomer right and a boomer. <laughs> my mom uh drove me an hour down to the laurel area uh to see my dad every sunday yeah. and one of the uh regulars in rotation on cassette yeah uh during that time was the aforementioned billy joel uh piano man album and so this is a this is a big this is a big thing for me and my mom and i get to go watch uh billy joel and and what what's left of stevie nicks and then you know experience that with my mom and then go see the orioles again play a playoff game yeah so you get to see a big or a playoff game billy joel and stevie nicks and then come back for another playoff game yeah so you basically have a billy joel sandwich basically yeah actually i apologize for it's like a few fans i should have said it sounds like you've got a stevie nicks sandwich there but that would be very Fleetwood Mac-ish. Yikes. <laughs> were, we, were we doing a Twitter thing? I can't even remember. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, we yeah. sure as heck are. We, we sure as heck are. The next tweet comes to us from Locked On Orioles, at Locked On Orioles. And look, Connor is great. And his podcast is a ton of fun, incredibly informative. His opinions about the Orioles are usually spot on. Yeah. But, but Con- Connor has but, some other opinions. Yeah. Connor has had some controversial opinions. 
he's brought up beer in a way that have made people uncomfortable. Here's a tweet from uh, today, October 4th. It says, respectfully, mm. comma, which you know it's bad right there when it says respectfully. It's already in trouble. Respectfully, you could just fire up Spotify and listen to Piano Man from the comfort of your own home. You know what, Connor? I could. <laughs> he could. But I won't. Also, he doesn't have a Spotify subscription, <laughs> and he doesn't actually know what Spotify is. <laughs> I do. I do. That's you. good. Did your I children do. teach you that? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's good. Even better. Oh, wait. It's only because we say Spotify on this podcast and say subscribe <laughs> to us on Spotify. <laughs> so, Connor, it's not that you're wrong. It's that you're very very wrong. Now go have some great opinions about the Orioles, please. You know, one thing that I really enjoy always, um, you know, whether the Ravens are in the playoffs or now that the Orioles are in the playoffs is to see how the community comes out and supports it. And Mm -hmm. I remember many years I would be driving from Bel Air down to Jessup and I'd pass by the city of Baltimore all the time. Um, And in January, you know, the entire city would turn purple. You know, the stadium would be purple lights on various buildings would turn purple um, and you know, this given one, um, I approve a lot. I, 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 this is a really big one for me and I think it's a really cool one. This comes from the Baltimore banner. Um, and it states as follows. We couldn't think of a bigger or better way to show our appreciation and support for the O's Domino sugar signs, new look to support O's and all the letters in Domino's, uh, Domino sugars, uh, new, new led light. This would not have been possible back in the day when the neon was out there. Um, but with their new LED lights that they installed um, in the past few years, they're able to dim all the other lights except for the O and S on both the first row and the second row. And now you just see O's, O's on the Domino Sugar sign. I love this. Yeah. I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. Civic Pride on a skyline. Yes. Have, shoot it into my veins. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that'll be really cool. I really kind of hope that the Orioles do have a, a, a night game. Um, and that you know the national audience can pan away, and you can see the sign, and I think that's a really cool aspect to kind of show the flair that is out there for for the Orioles on that basis. Jake, take us to our last tweet for the week. All right, this comes to us from Nathan Ruiz at Nathan S Ruiz. Last night's big Camden Yards announcement for a non was for a non-binding quote memorandum of understanding end quote not a lease. The Orioles and the state officials said Friday. Quote, it's unclear why the parties announced the 30-year deal publicly, end quote, at son Jeff Barker writes. So, Scotty, I I was at this game, and the announcement comes out uh, right actually after the Mateo, you know, tag up play, which, again, didn't come back to burn us, but very frustrating. Um, And, of course, I'm really frustrated at the Mateo standpoint. I'm explaining to everyone, like, what and why the umpires thought the way they did. I disagree with that call still. Um, but anyway, um, you know, Adrian Robinson comes on the phone or not on the phone on the, onto the microphone, um, starts talking and I'm like, this is weird. Like something's going on. And I turn to it and see the announcement being made. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's done. We got it for 30 years. And again, I thought it was a really, everyone talked about it on that aspect for clinchmas. But for me, it was a really special night because my son was with me for that aspect for clinchmas and we were getting to watch it. And I turned to him, I said, and he's like, what does that mean? I said, it means the Orioles are going to hear you for a third, another 30 years. And I said, that means, you know, for a good portion of your lifetime, you don't have to worry about not having a baseball team. And I said, I know that might not mean much to you, but it means a lot of a lot to people in Baltimore in terms of, like, maybe not having a team. So he's like, oh, that's great. Like, I really love the Orioles. I love this standpoint. I'm like, cool. 
Um, and again, it's the standpoint of like the announcements made. I'm pumped up. I'm jumping up and cheering and being, you know, the the lemming that I am is the best way to describe it. Um, and I'm talking to the ushers and stuff like that about it. And we're, we're talking about it. So it's like, you know, it, it's it was guaranteed this was going to happen regardless. But it's nice to see it finally be done is the best way to describe it. So that people have to start whispering about this. And then clinchips happens. The next day comes over. And this is like the hangover effect of like. Well, actually, like, there isn't a lease. There's a memorandum of understanding. Which, so, yeah. Can, can I tell you, though? A non-binding memorandum of understanding as well. I am not that freaked out about it. I, I'm, listen, I'm not freaked out about it. But I think the way the Baltimore Banner and uh, Nathan Ruiz phrased this, which is, why? Why would you do this publicly in this fashion um, and what does this get accomplished um, I think it's a good way to kind of build a little bit of a pandemonium during clinchmas you know as much as we want to blame John Angelus for this honestly for me this is on Westmore like Westmore can in instance just say like this is not to go public until we have something signed the thing is though is that in the court of public opinion sure it's as good as signed and so now any dis- I don't know about that. Any disruption? No, no. Oh, oh, any disruption yeah. makes the Orioles look bad. I think it makes both Westmore and the Orioles look really bad. I, I think that the only way—I mean, let's be frank—if the Orioles were to walk away, like, and just oh, wait, the Orioles are obviously going to get trashed. Sure, um, but like, there's no chance Westmore comes back on a gubernatorial bid at that point. Like, he might as well just be like, "And I'm done with politics for the rest of my career." I, I think, and. The thing is that, and that's a completely it, different aspect than like Schaefer with the Colts. Like Schaefer fought tooth and nail, couldn't get it done, and still was able to maintain his career. But like, if you've got that picture up there of Westmore and John Angelos standing toe and toe together, clapping with each other, and it doesn't go through, Moore's done. Like for his career. The thing though is that an MOU is not nothing. An MOU yeah. is a lot. Of preparation. There's a lot of lawyers that are involved in something like that. I do think that if they've signed an MOU, if they have made that information public, that it's just a matter of time before it's the actual lease. Listen, I I agree with you on this basis. um, That more than likely, everything is going to pass. However, if you looked at uh, page 8 of the Memorandum of Understanding... There was a physical required as per the memorandum of understanding. <laughs> um, so there is a possibility that that memorandum of understanding could be nixed upon further review of the physical. It's it's possible that we would feel different about this if we were a city that didn't have a, a team from Indianapolis bearing a, a team name named after uh, the racing industry from our state. Sure. But I, I'm officially here to tell you uh, bird's eye view listeners, you don't have to worry. It wasn't, in fact, a dream. The MOU is the MOU sounds unsatisfying, but I think that everything's going to be fine, folks. This is just a reminder. I know where Jake lives. If you want to come <laughs> after him after he makes that statement, uh, if and when the Orioles move away, um, I can help you out. Is the best way to describe it. But yeah, I just—it's a weird look in the way that they, the verbiage they used the night of, made everyone think. A lease had been signed. All major media markets picked it up, said a lease has been signed, the lease has been signed. If the Associated Press came out and said 
a lease has been signed. And it wasn't until local beat writers started to discuss it and unearth it um, that there's just like, actually, a lease has not been signed. And again, I will come back and I will point this out as something that is near and dear to my heart. This is why it's so important to have local journalism, such as the Baltimore Banner, um, and make sure that you have local journalism that is willing to challenge um, the established aspect. So um, as much as people uh, want to hate on the media, as it were, uh, local journalism is an absolute imperative uh, for the democracy that we have within this country. I also feel like for the longest time, the when it came to the Orioles, the national media was scooping before. Totally. The local you would guys. see Ken Rosenthal posted first. Um, so again, I think this is a really big deal um, is the best way to put it of like, Yes, you're right. That I think the memorandum of understanding in essence seals the deal. And again, you know, the blood just needs to be written. <laughs> this seals the deal. The blood just needs to be written on the contract, as it were. Um, so, I mean, I, I never had a doubt. I just don't like the delivery mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. Um, and I think it makes a lot of the parties look pretty, I wouldn't say foolish, but it makes them look like, how much can I trust these people going forward? Which, again, you shouldn't trust them. It is, it's as simple as that. I will say... Having struggled to get to the end of many an MOU, I feel like, yes, this is non-binding. Sure. Yes, this is not written in blood. But the lawyers are not going to be happy. <laughs> so much work has been put in yes. place just to get here. Yeah. Here, here. All right. Let's let's uh, let's leave it there. Uh, we have done all the X-Twittering that we can. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's go around the bases. Jake, we freaking did it. We did. We did it. And I got to see it. It was great. I, I I really want to talk about this on a number of levels. Yeah. But let me just, let's start at the beginning. Yeah. Scott, we watched the Orioles win 83 games yep. last year. We felt great, really Great season. Felt really good yeah. about it. We felt like we were ahead of schedule. Totally. We had a really good... I felt that we had a very disappointing offseason. Uh, totally agree. I mocked the team openly for a lack of liftoff, which yep. we were promised. Yep. And then we had April. And in April, the team did great. Team did great. We said, great. You did what you needed to do to set yourselves up for the rest of the season in order to be successful, especially with a really tough May coming up. And, you know, May is not going to be as good as April was. But. But. The Tampa Bay Rays had an incredible April. Correct. They had like a what was it, thirteen and zero start or twenty and three or both thirteen and zero and twenty and three. Just think about that. You are seventeen games up above five hundred at one point. And at that time, you and I, I think, agreed the fact that like that's it. AL East is done. I We're just trying to get to the wild. Said it card. many a times that I was just like, listen, um, it's not going to happen. The AL East is in essence the Rays. The Rays are not going to in essence plummet um, in this given fashion. But slowly but surely, the Orioles kept momentum up. They never, you know, were, you know, absolutely amazing like the Rays were at the very beginning of the season. But they never lost a significant amount of games back to back to back. They never got swept. Um, They were really consistent. Again, if they got knocked in the teeth and won one out of three, they'd come back that next series and say, all right, 
we're going to win two out of three this one and in essence go 500. Um, it, it was so much fun to watch this team because they they did just that. They bounced resilience. back. Resilience. Resilience has back. to be the whole theme of the 2023 Orioles of like, if you get knocked up or you get destroyed the one game, you know, 11 to one, the next game you're going to come out and it's going to be a one nothing win is what's going to describe it. I think back to that Mariner series. I always yeah. will come back to that Mariner series of like, the Orioles got absolutely trounced that Friday night. And I'm like, this could go really bad really quickly. And then coming back out and going toe to toe with them um, during the Felix night and then winning it one nothing, such a big deal. Even the Rays series from the September standpoint is a big one, which is like you lose Thursday and Friday and Friday being the Adam Jones day. And you come out and say, our relief pitchers are burned out. You know, how are we going to get through these games? We've got to still beat the Rays. And the Orioles managed to win both Saturday and Sunday in comeback fashion as well um, in the ninth inning in both games. After a disappointing series with with uh, St. Louis. So again, you know, it's all about resilience with this team. And it, they are so impressive to me um, just on that basis of like, just when you think like the shoe is about to drop, the shoe never dropped. Um, and again, you know, things can obviously change really quickly on that basis. But again, over 162 games this season. And even if you go back into last year with that kind of resilience and that comeback nature um, of, we'll call it the Rugnit or door season is the best way to describe it. The Orioles have shown this clubhouse presence of saying, we're not going to give up. We believe we're in every single game. And when we're out of that game and we, in essence, get our brains blown in, we're going to come back the next day and wash it away and just say, it's another day. We are equally as good as this team on the other side of the field. Yeah. And, and, we, you and I, well, I, I don't want to put this on you. I am just as guilty as anybody else of being frustrated in the moment. Oh, totally. And that's, that's being a fan as well. But you look at what was the Achilles heel of this, of this season? Well, at times it was the bullpen. At times it was starting pitching being ineffective. At times it was the offense disappearing. Correct. Hitting it with runners in scoring position yeah. was, it was an issue in stretches but I think the Orioles finished like top three in, in running, uh, average fourth running in the position. You know, starting pitching was something that people came back and said, well, that's going to be an issue. Um, and the Orioles managed to have like two great starting pitchers in the second half of the year. You know, the bullpen, as much as people hated on the bullpen and saying, well, without Felix Batista, it's not very good. You know, even after Felix Batista went out uh, with his injury, the Orioles posted a 3.54 ERA, which was equal to the 3.54 ERA that they posted with Batista. So again, I, I look at the whole scenario and, you know, I, I talked a lot about this during the Buckle Up Birds era. Dan Duquette did a really good job of basically making sure that, you know, you didn't have negative four players. And to a certain regard, that didn't happen this year um, exactly. But what I think the Orioles did a really good job of is not getting into long ruts and in essence bouncing back. And it's eerily similar to me to the 2014 season when the Orioles played so well before, where at the very beginning of the season, you had Nelson Cruz doing so well. Nelson Cruz got cold. Who picks it up? Steve Pierce picks it up. Once Steve Pierce goes cold, who picks it up after that? Adam Jones picks it up. So it's been this whole season standpoint. You know, Gunner was cold at the very beginning of the season. Gunner gets hot. Um, and, you know, when Gunner starts to get cold, then Ryan O'Hearn gets hot. And then Mountcastle gets hot. So it's, you know, I, I hate to be cliche, but it's kind of Orioles magic. It's the standpoint you like, you never know who is, in essence, going to be the hero that given week. 
Every uh, night. And every night. Has a different star. I mean, even coming back to that Rays series, and again, I've trashed this individual countless times and asking the Orioles <laughs> why this individual needs to be on the team. But again, he was my good for, for last week on the podcast. You know, Adam Frazier, even from a clutch standpoint, um, in certain moments in late innings, has been a really big deal. So, Speaking of Rugnet Odor. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's one of those standpoints where the entire clubhouse has kind of rallied on each other. Um, and even through... You know, the pains and tribulations. Let's talk about like Grayson going back to AAA. Yeah. The whole conversation the whole time was like, Grayson's going to come back and be better when he comes back to the major leagues. He's going to be, he's going to figure out exactly what he needs. And that came from Gibson. And sure enough, Grayson comes back absolutely dominant. And Grayson said exactly what you're supposed to say. And I think we talked about this on a previous podcast. I need to go down there to work on a few things. I got my feel back for how I needed to pitch in the majors. And now I'm ready. And how can you not love that? Yeah. I mean, that is exactly what you want to hear in a blue-collar town that Baltimore is supposed to be. And look at guys like Tyler Wells, overcoming adversity, sure. running out of gas, being ineffective, not having his best stuff, being one of the better starters of the first half, and then coming back to close the door in le- high-leverage situations as a bullpen reliever. Look, look at a guy, you, you talk about, Overcoming adversity. Look at a guy like CNL Perez. Perez. We called for CNL Perez's DFA along yeah. with Adam Frazier earlier this season. I mean, a part of me just comes back down to like, you know, we we make the joke specifically on this podcast of like it's a lack of insight and basis opinion. Um, but the amount of times that we're like, it's done, we need to move on in terms of like you said, the spur of the moment standpoint or looking at a small sample size. Um, and, and clearly the Orioles know something or have data specifically to kind of back it up and say, yes, things are not going well right now. And yes, we're going to minimize that individual from being used. I mean, we saw CNL president essence disappear for our stretch of the season, but now he's back and he might be one of your more reliable relief pitchers. And we've seen that um, during some really pivotal games in September. So yeah, I mean, again, you end the season with 101 wins. just I'm just going to stop right there. 101 wins. We've never seen this before in our lives. No. We've never seen over 100 wins in our life. I mean, you've got to go back before we were born. And Jake, we are not young men. I mean, we are old men now. Let's, let's be frank. We're really old men. What's the expression? You're going to win 60, you're going to lose 60, and then what you do with the games in between is what matters? Yeah. The Orioles won all of those games in between. Yeah. It's just, it's an incredibly impressive season. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think everyone knows that. And I think everyone looks at it when they see above 100 wins. Um, and, I, you know, I think, you know, Brandon High mentioned it when, you know, clinch was happening. He's like, that's 100 wins. Um, I knew, and I kept saying this for the clinching standpoint, it's like, I know it's going to be like 100 or 101 wins. Like, that's going to be the magic number that you need to be at. And sure enough, that's what it turned out to be. Yeah, can we talk for a second about this? Because um, I have I have spent a lot of time chatting with you off mic about baseball, about things beyond baseball. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time with you on mic talking about baseball, and one of the things that makes me crazy, yeah, is how often you are right about things. And that's and, because sometimes I'm logical. <laughs> You're not logical. No, but. no, no. This, this is, this is absurd. So y- listeners may remember that I was actually in the, um, 
I was in in the press box for the last clinch miss in 2014. Just it was a random happenstance. Yeah. You told me, yeah, at the end of at the end of, end August, of August, I said if you were to book a press press pass, I would book it for the 26th. No, 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 no. Oh. You said the 28th. Oh, did I say the 28th? You were to the day oh, accurate wow. yeah. of clinch miss, yeah. and I was like, that's ridiculous. And I I told Sarah, I was like, you know, I don't know how he does this. There's math. Yeah, I believe him. Yeah. But this is the date he said, and she was like, yeah, yeah. It turned out we went to a butt ton of baseball that week, yeah. and we couldn't go to Correct. the 28th. But you, I'm going to give you credit, yeah. you nailed it in August, yeah. the day that the Orioles were going to clinch. Yeah, and again, it's, 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 it's not. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a guess is, is to a certain regard. But again, it's the standpoint of like you look at the schedule and you look at the standpoint, you're like, you know, theoretically, just the way that the entire season had worked between the Rays, like, the Orioles never got too far ahead of the Rays. The Rays never got too far ahead or behind the Orioles. They were always, you know, two and a half, three games back. So again, you just back calculate it and you're just like, well, it's going to be more than likely on a Thursday um, on that last week of the season. Um, before we leave first base here, yeah. on the note of we won the freaking AL yeah. East. I love, love watching the team celebrate. Sure. It's it's so easy to be positively uh, positively emotionally invested when the team is winning. Yep. But the guys on this team are so easy to root for, from Gunner to Adley to Santander to Hazen and and Cedric to Gibson to John Means coming. I mean, there are so many good stories. There are so many guys. That you watched, you know, pour champagne on one another and and rooted for in that moment. Yeah. It's just uh it's it's wonderful. It's, it's a wonderful. lot better than watching the Astros clinch the West and be like, people ask what would happen if the Astros didn't win the AO West. Guess they'll never know. And they pop the champagne. I'm like, Well, I guess someone's gotta be the new New York Yankees of the playoffs. So but yeah, I mean, it's it's great to see. It's great to see them, in essence, you know, not have it really go to their head. Um, you know, celebrate with the broadcasters in the <laughs> in the standpoint in, in the clubhouse. Um, you know, sing some Blink One Eighty Two. It's 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 wholesome content is the best way to describe it. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to kind of come back and just you know, I think no matter what happens in October, people will always look back in the season and be like. This is one of the greatest seasons of Orioles baseball that we've ever seen. And we saw several seasons like this in the 1970s where the Orioles didn't get into playoffs. Um, so I think people look back at this and they say, this reminds me very similar of the 1970s Orioles is the best way to put it. This is the fifth best regular season record yeah. ever. Yeah. I do have a, a small qualm. Qualm. Because you're taking a complaint, if you will. Yeah. Uh the the Orioles socials have done such an amazing job this season. We have praised them up and down. However, it's really hard to find video of the clubhouse celebrations. Mm. And I would love that. I don't know if it's that the organization is uncomfortable with all of the alcohol. That's possible. Right? Because we know it's on Masson. Like Masson's been posting it on their social media to a certain regard. Yeah, but like if you go, like if you go to YouTube, yeah. right now, yeah, to the Masson and the Orioles accounts, you won't find not readily that. available. You're absolutely right. 
Is it the alcohol? I can't imagine it is because like for, this is a team that has the dong bong. What? It's the alcohol, really? What's well, that? But it's also a situation like if it isn't a matter where like MLB is basically saying like, hey, we don't want you to do that. Mm. You see MLB doing this all the time where like, let's go to the locker room and come yeah. to the clubhouse. So they're posting on their social media. MLB who has an official sponsorship with Budweiser. Budweiser. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. So I, I have a really I don't know why that's the case is the best way to put it. Um, I don't know. It's odd. Um, because again, I would shoot that into my veins, right? Masson, Orioles, whoever it is, give I, me the celebration I, in its entirety. I feel like it's a, a matter where, like, when the celebration was going on, they had no issues covering it, mm-hmm. and unless you came back and bookmarked or took video of that given moment, it was—I wouldn't say lost, but it's much more difficult to get to. Is the best way to put it. You had the amazing opportunity to be there on that night. Yep. Um, which, you know, I, having been at a clinchmas, I know is, is an incredible experience, Yep. but I will say that there was something special for me to be able to see all of the broadcasted sure. celebration, uh, because I had never seen that before. Yep. So that was, that was exciting. Yeah, you had lived that before. We appreciate you for all your, your efforts. But I, I do hope that the Orioles give us quite a few more champagne baths. That would be, that would be nice. So let's go to second base. And let's get ready for the playoffs. Playoffs, again, start on Saturday against the Texas Rangers, which we'll get to in a second. But, Jake, uh, the roster crunch is now going to happen. We've got to, in essence, reduce your roster from 28 to 26. Um, Who do you think some of the individuals coming off the roster are going to be at this given time? All right. So you got to lose two. Here's the deal. I feel uh, my feeling is that the question becomes... Which of the starters Mm -hmm. do you not have start games? Mm -hmm. And does that starter enter the bullpen? Sure. Or does he leave the roster? Yep. The next question is, which of the the position players do you get rid of? Yes. Those are the two questions. And I think the only other question on top of that would be, you know, if you don't go that approach... And you want to have a five-man bench, which is a possibility. You could theoretically say, I'm going to, in essence, go and not have so many relief pitchers. Because in reality, for you know division series, you don't need that. You've got two games, and then a day off, and then two games, and then a day off. So like, you have what you didn't have in September, which are days off. So you theoretically could go with a smaller amount of pitchers if you want to have more depth on your bench. That's an option. I'm not saying that's the right option, but that's an option. That is a reasonable statement that you just made. Yeah. Here's why I don't think it's right for the Orioles. Because Brandon Hyde, who has been uh, maligned in a season in which his team won 101 games, Brandon Hyde loves to change pitchers. Totally agree. And so, right, wrong, or indifferent. Yep. And I'm not defending the man. I'm not attacking the man. Right, wrong, or indifferent, the man loves to change pitchers. I I completely agree with you. Like, I know this was thrown out there of like, hey, you don't need as many pitchers. But I completely agree with you that... (laughs) You you don't need as many pitchers, but Brandon Hyde does. But Brandon Hyde does. And I think, honestly, the Orioles are going to do it as well. Um, I think you're going to see um, an approach where the starting pitching is going to get through the lineup twice. Mm. And you're going to see it pulled. Um, and then we're going to see how long, you know, in essence, starters last. Um, again, you're still dealing with starters that are close to an innings limit in some instances. 
Um, and again, if you're going to have them potentially pitch into the World Series, you've got to still be somewhat cautious with them on that basis. Um, so I personally believe you're absolutely right that based off of Brandon Hyde's management, um, based off of how he likes to send the pitcher up for three batters and only three batters, um, and based off of I don't think many of our stars are going to go past more than five innings, I think you're absolutely right that the Orioles need to carry, you know, you know, one less pitcher and one less position player going forward. So um, that's my opinion. Um, so maybe let's pick one position player to eliminate at this time. Well, let's, I mean, let's not bear the, I think that the two options sure. are Ryan McKenna yep. and Heston Kirsten. Yep. And McKenna's not actually on the roster at this moment. So if you want to get McKenna on, you actually have to take two people off of the current roster. That's interesting. That's interesting. Here is my here's my question. Like, so again, I think the question, the first question is for position players: Do we think Kerstad's going to be on the ALDS? I think if it was the Rays, yes. With the Rangers, I don't think so whatsoever. There's so many left-handers, um, and someone posted this out to me like, "Well, he does have reverse splits." I just don't think I've seen enough from Kerstad to make me believe that he needs to be on the playoff roster in this series. What do you think? Ryan McKenna brings. I think he just offers a potential potential defensive replacement for someone like a Santander, or if you, in essence, you know, sub in a Ryan O'Hearn in a weird position, um, you can put McKenna back into another position. So I think it offers you know switches is the best way to describe it as it relates to defensive alignment. I also think that's why Urias makes the team in order for them to kind of sure. shift their their defense around, just like we have seen where you know um, you know. Gunner starts with shortstop, and then he moves to a different position on that basis as well. So, I I, I think McKenna is just there specifically to kind of be a defensive replacement um, on that basis. Right, wrong, or indifferent? Yeah, I think that the Orioles will. Here, here are the here are the guys that I think are redundant. Sure, I think that McKenna and Jorge Mateo are redundant. Okay. And I say that because the the Orioles have so much infield flexibility yeah. that Jorge Mateo is not going to be a starter yeah. in the playoffs. Jorge Mateo is going to be a speed guy and and a possible a possible uh, defensive bench player. Sure. Here's here's like an area that I would consider. Like this is where I could see McKenna playing a role with Mateo, um, which is Mateo comes in for Hicks to run, mm-hmm. and then who replaces Hicks in the outfield? You've got to put McKenna out there. On that yeah, basis. but with the speed, I mean, I think Ferrari could do the pinch running anyway, right? So I don't think you need Maybe, Mateo yeah. if you think if you think McKenna is your speed guy. Yeah, I don't think McKenna is your speed guy, but that's Be- just my personal opinion. Because of that, I don't think that McKenna makes the squad because, again, right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah, I think that Hyde's view is that Hicks is good enough defensively. Yeah, as a replacement. Do I agree? No. No. (laughs) But I would suspect that as much as Hyde loves McKenna, Mm -hmm. I would suspect that it's Kerstad over McKenna. I've been wrong before. And again, if it's Kerstad over McKenna, you still need to get rid of one additional player from the roster. So 
No, not no, because because Kerstad is already on the roster. But again, you've got to get rid of one position player and one pitcher. You've got twenty eight people right now. Oh, right. Yikes! And a half. So again, the people have been talking about it. Like, do you take Kerstad or do you take Urias? Has been like the common conversation. You got to take Urias. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think you take Urias on that basis and just say. Kerstad, you know, you're going to be a big part of this organization going forward, but we're, we're going to move forward with Urias, Mateo, Mountcastle, um, and James McCann on our bench yeah. um, on that basis. But we'll see what the Orioles do. Um, you got to pick one pitcher now to kind of, um, I wouldn't say cast into the sun per se, but in essence say you're not coming to the postseason with us. I think the easy answer is Jack Flaherty. I agree. I think this is simple. I think the answer is Jack Flaherty. I mean, I want to see Kano, Colum. Fuji is one of those pe- thing, people that come back and say, like, I don't trust Fuji. But again, we come back to the Brandon Hyde standpoint. I could see Brandon Hyde easily throwing Fuji out there and saying, let's see if it's good Fuji or bad Fuji. And if it's bad Fuji, he comes out after three batters. Yeah. Um, Perez gets there. Tyler Wells gets there. Jacob Webb gets there. T- D.L. Hall gets there. And I think Cole Irvin's there just as kind of your long man if you need him on that basis. Um and then you've got Bradish, Rodriguez, Kramer, Means, and then Gibson there again is another long man if you need him on that basis. It's crazy to me that I, I agree with you, by the way, but it's crazy to me that Gibson is your starter that's being kicked out because at the beginning of the well, season You mean Flaherty is kicked out. Well, no, I mean of the oh, rotation. Out of the rotation, yeah. Yeah. I, I would have bet my left arm that's my I throw with the left arm. I would have bet my left arm that Gibson would have started game one of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. In the first half of the season. Yeah. That is not the way it played out in the second half of the season. No, not at all. And again, it's not to say that Gibson is bad. No. Is the best way to describe it. I think the thing that really the question is for your fourth starter, is it Gibson or is it Kramer? Um, I think it's between those two. I, I think that I am leaning more towards Kramer. Um, I want to see what he does. And again, I think it's one of those situations where if Kramer comes out, Gibson might be the next one coming in right after him. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see what happens. Like I said, it's really interesting. Um, I think Kramer actually pairs off better, honestly, with Cole Irvin because you have the righty versus the lefty. And for John Means being the lefty, I think John Means and going to Gibson might be an interesting one to see. But it'll be really interesting to see how the Orioles, in essence, micromanage um, their bullpen. Um, and like you said, how many times Brennan Hyde changes pitchers. But, I mean, I, I saw in the Rangers game, uh, Rangers series, I think they used three pitchers in the bullpen this entire series off the top of my head um, because their starters went really deep and they did a really nice job. I think in a ga- general game for the Baltimore Orioles, um, I think we're going to see five, six pitchers in some instances um, in an ALDS game. I think it's going to be weird and wacky is the best way to describe it. So looking forward to it on that basis. All right, well, let's leave second base. Let's head over to third base, and we're going to talk playoff matches, uh, matchups. And, Scotty, when I put these notes together, sure, I had, intended, I had intended to have a much more robust conversation. Yeah, but... However, uh, Texas beat Tampa, and Minnesota beat Toronto. And, and it looks like, as well... That the Diamondbacks are going to beat the Brewers. It's actually down to their last out and strike. And the Phillies um, are currently up seven to nothing over the Marlins in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, so it looks like it's a potential that no wild card series is going to go to a game three on this basis. Um, 
That's weird. That is weird. It's also a bummer because the benefit of being the first of uh, the first seed is that you're well rested sure. when the other team is not and not having to play that third game. Right. Uh, so the Orioles will play the Texas Rangers. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I am delighted. Really? I am delighted that the Blue Jays and Rays have been eliminated. And and here's why. Okay. No love for the AL East. No. None. Because I think that the Orioles window has opened. Mm-hmm. I am not afraid of the Orioles window being closed mm-hmm. after this season. Sure. Which is a weird way to feel. Yep. And if for some reason the Orioles do not prevail, I do not want it to be another ALE's mm, team I gotcha. that ends our season. I gotcha. And th- that makes sense. That makes sense. It, it Look, is it strategically right? I think can't it, tell you. Is I, it emotionally it's right? It's emotional. Yes. Yeah, it's, this is 1990s emotional basis, which is like, I don't want to see a team like, you know, the, the Jays or the Yankees or even the Red Sox, in essence, do well on this basis. So, you know, I think, you know, at the rate, if we were going against the Rays and the ALDS and the Rays would have won, I've been like, all right, that stinks, but the Rays are a really good team on that basis. The Jays, I would have been much more sour about, is the best way to describe it. But Either I, one would have burned me up. I'm not sure if it would have, the, not sure if the Rays would have burned me up that bad. Um, but I get what you're coming from. Like, it makes it a little bit more sour of a feel to say, I won the division, I won 101 games, but I lost to someone in the division that, you know, I was ahead of, is the yeah. best way to put it. So, um, so instead of the Rays, we are now facing the Rangers in a five-game series. Wait a minute. Um, how did we do the last time we played the Rangers in the playoffs? Uh, we did very well. Joe Saunders uh, did pretty darn well. Huh. Um, it was a lot of stress ball. Um, I had seven shots that evening trying to get through the evening. You did. <laughs> um, but somehow, some way, the Baltimore Orioles... Uh, somehow managed to beat um, the Rangers in that game. I don't know how I didn't pace a hole in the Curry's living room. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this year's Texas Rangers versus the Orioles? Honestly, I think it's a complete toss up. Like it's, it's, I think it's, it's a complete toss up. I, you know, my wife came to me and asked the question like, Hey, how do you feel? And I said, honestly, I think the Orioles might be like, slight favorites but like she I was like if i were to put like a percentage on it i'd say 52 percent orioles 48 percent rangers like i think it's that close um i think it's going to be an extremely tough series i think it's going to be a really i think the rangers are a great team um, i think there's a lot of parallels between the rangers and the orioles um you know they've got a ton of starting pitching but none of it's available at this moment so if you look at the rangers starting pitching and you look at the orioles starting pitching like for for one series ever, the Orioles pitching might be slightly better. Um, but then you look up the lineup and you're like, both lineups look really good. Um, is the best way to describe it. There's some really nice hitters in both lineup. Um, you know, led by two Orioles catching prospects on both teams. Um, so I, I think it's gonna be incredibly close. Um, I think, you know, going into the into the series, I I, I don't know who is going to win. I have no prediction on the basis. I'm just going to go out there and see what happens and see, you know, can the team move forward and can they show the resilience they've shown all season? I hate to be nothing there, but that's how I feel on that basis. What I think you're telling me 
is that the X Factor may be the Camden Yards crowd. So that's interesting that you say this, um, because during the twin series, it seemed like the twins crowd um, made a difference with the Jays, where the Jays would say they made, well, I'll just say it, they made boneheaded mistakes in many instances. And I don't know if it was crowd related, but it was odd that, you know, the Blue Jays were being so aggressive and, and making a boneheaded mistake. So, you know, we saw this during the the Ranger series, uh, not the Ranger series, the um, the Tiger series in 2014. The crowd obviously made a difference. However, I mean, we also have to go back and take a look at the ALCS. Like the crowd was equally as loud and it made no difference whatsoever. I choose to accept the first part of your statement. Sure. And I will ignore, despite its possible merit, the second part of your statement. This is the Kennedys dealing with the the Russians in the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. I'm only going to respond to the part of this I like. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I think that it comes down. It's as simple as this. Um, you know, I think if the Orioles or the Rangers are able to get through starting pitching quicker than the other team and essence get to the bullpen, I think that's a team that generally is going to win. So, you know, for example, we mentioned before, I think personally the Orioles are going to pull their starters after they get through their rotation or get through the lineup twice. If that takes, Four innings, if that takes six innings, I think that's a big deal going forward in terms of who is going to win this or not. So um, I think that's going to make or break it. And we'll see if I'm right about that. Um, But right now, you know, just looking at it on paper, I think it's a coin flip. I think it's an absolute coin flip. And I think both teams are really talented. Here's what I want you to do, Bird's Eye View listener. I want you to go back. I want you to watch the Delman double. Yeah. And I want you to listen to the sound. It's an inhuman whine. It's a a roar that cannot be defined. That sound is exactly what is needed for this moment. Sure. I'm going to tell you. I think if the Orioles go 2 nothing in Camden Yards. Oh, I think it's over. Honestly. They're going to the championship series. Yeah, there, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if the Orioles win 2 in Baltimore... It's over, is the best way to describe it. I'll be candid with you. Um, I think if they go one and one in Baltimore, I think they have a really good shot. I think the biggest concern I have, and it's it's stupid, my biggest concern is, do we see another repeat of the 2014 ALCS? And does this stupid streak thing and sweep thing come to roost in the ALDS? That is my biggest concern. But honestly... You know, I come back and I think about 2012 and the Orioles lost the first game and then won the first game. Mm -hmm. But I was absolutely distraught after that first game. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. If the Orioles lose this first game for the ALDS, I'm going to walk away being like, it's not even close to being over based off again, the resiliency that this team has showed throughout the entire season. If they go down 0-2, I'm still not going to give up on it, but I'm going to say, this is going to be really difficult. And I'm not saying it's impossible. It's going to be really difficult. Um, but if the Orioles go one and one, and in essence, they need to win two games in a three game series. Um, I, I know that only one of those games would be at Camden Yards. I feel really good about that. And the Roy- Orioles have been road warriors as well. Um, so we'll see what happens um, and see how good the Orioles play this weekend. Um, I, 
we'll see. Is most going to be? I mean, every single playoff matchup that happened for the wild card series, um, in essence, went the opposite way, except for the Phillies. Like the Phillies were the only ones that I'm like, I think the Phillies are going to trounce the Marlins. Every other series went the exact opposite way of the way I was expecting it to be. All right, Scott, we are dangerously close to getting into prognostication. Yep. And that is the subject of home plate. So let's sure. round third. Let's head into home. Let's talk about playoff prognostication sure. for Major League Baseball. You posted something about this recently on the Twitters or the X, whatever you want to call yeah. it, about the fact that amongst the national media, sure. the Braves are the favorites. They are the golden children. I mean, shouldn't they be? Let's sure. Be, let's be candid. Sure. They should be. Like, Absolutely. You look at everything that they've got on paper. You look at their lineup. You know, you had, I think, what, six players hit over 30-plus home runs this year. Everything just looks and be like, that team should win. Um, but I'll be candid with you. And this is October baseball, just like we were talking about before. I said the same thing last year about the Dodgers. I said the Dodgers should absolutely wipe up the NL and they should be in the World Series. And lo and behold, it turned out to be the Phillies. And when it was Phillies versus Astros, I'm like, the Phillies have had a magical run. We'll see what happens. But I think the Astros are going to wipe them clean. And it came down to the very end. Um, October baseball is weird. October baseball is extremely weird. Um, So even though the Braves look like the 1927 Yankees, weirdness happens is the best way to describe it. And the best teams don't always win. I think it would be foolish for me to stand here and say, this is what I think is going to happen because of these reasons. Yeah. And so in true bird's eye view fashion, I'm going to tell you the things that I want with my heart. Okay. Here are the things I want with my heart. Would you Scott. like me to pull out the ukulele while, while you're saying this? No, no, no. Here are the things I want with my heart. Okay. First of all, I want the Orioles clearly to make their way through the ALDS. Okay. And then to make their way through the ALCS. Okay. Then the question becomes, who do you want to face in the World Series? And I think there are two... Tell me your feels about this one. Tell me what your feels are in terms of who you would, who you envision in this utopian society of yours in your mind. There are two very clear answers. Okay. The first is that in this, the 60th year of Jim Palmer's existence in the franchise, sure. that the Orioles could go to the World Series... And sweep the Dodgers and oh my games. gosh! <laughs> I mean, just think about the symmetry yeah. there. The fields would be immaculate. So you would have Grayson Rodriguez going against Clayton Kershaw. Uh, Grayson pitches a shutout against Clayton Kershaw. Uh, Kershaw retires at the end of the season um, and becomes a legend of Jewish baseball history. I can see it happening. Yeah, I don't think Kershaw's Jewish, but that's okay. Second fields. Is that the Orioles go up against the Phillies? Yeah. And that for the first time in 40 years, yep. the Orioles win the World Series against the same opponent from 40 years ago. Can you imagine how raucous this area between Baltimore and Philadelphia would be? Yes. It means. Yes, I can. It would be absolutely mind boggling. I mean, I've gone to Citizens Bank many times, many times. And Citizens Bank is really cool because you can, in essence, tailgate mm-hmm. right outside the stadium. And the tailgates are fun as heck. I mean, as much as people want to get flack for people from Philadelphia, 
Philadelphia is a fun party town, and it is a city with some absolutely diehard, passionate fans. If you go and tailgate for a World Series in Philadelphia and watch the Orioles play the Phillies, my gosh, like what an absolute like craziness that would be from a storytelling standpoint. I will say that the teams from Philadelphia who have come to the precipice over the last year and failed to make it to the promised land is wearing a bit thin from a narrative standpoint Mm -hmm. and, and also makes me feel empathy for them, which I'm not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And so I I think I think I'm going to have to explore these feels Mm -hmm. more, but I think my preferred feels would be Orioles beating the Dodgers rather than Orioles beating the Phillies. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I'll be candid with you. You know my feels are right now? Hmm. My feels would be the Orioles being in the World Series versus... (laughs) I don't care whatsoever on who the Orioles play in the World Series. I've had people come to me and say, so do you get your World Series tickets yet? And I said... Honestly, like, I can't even fathom that in my mind. Like, that one is, day at a time. You, you, what you just told me was like, hey, did you buy that unicorn? Is the best <laughs> way to describe it. Like, you know, if that happens, if that happens, um, the entire fabric of my existence, my illusion of reality as well, is going to come crashing down. Uh, Sam and Alan, uh, this would be a great episode to kind of talk about the illusion uh, and the fabric of, of reality um, in the future. Um, I just can't even fathom it. Like people are like, well, if that happens, you know, what are you going to do that last week of October? And I was like, listen, I'm only focused on these upcoming two weeks of October. We'll see what happens. But after that point, like I, I'm just assuming the world ends is the best way to describe it. And there's nothing past this point. Here's the weird, here's the weird thing. You look at the teams in the AL side of the playoff bracket, and you say, there are no world beaters that I'm terrified of. Could the Orioles lose to the Rangers? Of course. Could they lose to the Astros? Of course. course. Could they lose to the Twins? Absolutely. AL Central Devil Magic. (laughs) But can the Orioles beat those teams? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. How weird is that to say? Yeah, I mean, um, I completely agree that, you know, in all honesty, um, you know, I think it's a situation where if you look at it, even with the Braves and the Dodgers, who I consider to be the top tier teams mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. I still say to myself, in a seven game series, the Orioles could potentially hold their own on that basis. And again, as much as I hate it, I hate it, but it comes back to the sweep streak. It's the standpoint, again, of resilience. It's the standpoint of, like, you don't lose that many games in a row. So if you lose two games, you come back and win a game. And let's say, let's say that you say they do in the World Series. You lose the first two games, you win the next game in game three. It's two to one. If you come back and win that fourth game, now it's 2-2. You lose the third game, it's 2-3. You win two more games, you win the World Series. Like, Are you telling me that you are expecting the Orioles in a seven-game series to pull off or Red Sox? No. What I'm saying is uh, the Orioles are going to do what they do best. They're going to be resilient, but they're going to be dramatic as heck, <laughs> and they're going to make us all lose our minds. Um, so, folks, this is your 
you know, playoff warning, as it were. Uh, if you're not going to the games, if you're going to be at home, you know, clear some space, have it be a quiet space, have an alcohol of your pleasure. Um, maybe go talk to your general practitioner and maybe say, like, can I have some Xanax for the next few weeks? Um, just as a trial you know, on that basis. Um, but in all seriousness, it's going to be extremely fun. It's going to be extremely anxious. But you put it really well, and that's kind of the way I'm going into the season. This is not the end. And many times in 2012 and 2014, we said this of like, are we going to see this again? Like, when are, is this possible to repeat? And I think if you look at the core nucleus, is what we always talked about during the rebuilding years. We said, are they going to have a nucleus that's going to be good enough? The nucleus is here next year, and it's only going to get better next year. This is the beginning. This is not the end. Are we playing with house money? No, we're not playing with house money. You're never playing with house money in the playoffs because you never know when you're going to be back. However, it's not the end of the world if they don't win this year. That's what I would say. But you're never playing with house money. You always want to take advantage of the situation when it's presented to you because you never know what could happen. Here, here. And speaking of never knowing what will happen, let's see what happened this week in Fantasy Boss. Jake, we know, close. we know what that music means. Listen, the competition is still very much in your face. I feel like your magic number yeah. is very small. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's like one. It's 10-8. Yeah. I feel like if I get one more point, it's probably done for the season. Unless like something weird happens. I mean, we still got wild cards out there. We do. We do. Let's let's decide how we want to adjudicate this. Sure. I think you have you have won the regular season, and you have very graciously said, "No, no, 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 this is not over until the, until the Orioles are done playing." Which, which I think is appropriate. I I know that you do, and that that speaks very highly yeah. of your character, which is unusual as it is. I think that we should take this series by series. Okay, so so I ALDS think, ALCS on that basis. So, in order for you to come back and in essence win it all. The Orioles have to play in the World Series. Or hit on a wild card and potentially push you ahead. Sure, 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 sure. But more than likely, it's going to require us to play into the World Series for you to potentially win this this season. I think that is appropriate. I think it's appropriate. So, Scott Magnus, I won this week. Sure. Which means that it is your honor and duty to select our ALDS Fantasy Boss category yeah so i I think we'll just go simple we're just gonna go dongs um and dongs are wide open there's nobody off the board on this basis alds dongs alds dongs scott you animal yep alds dongs is is the biggest crapshoot there is yes 
who will rise to the biggest stage? Who will have the Steve Piercean performance? So I'm going to go Corey Seager. <laughs> I, I have not reviewed the rules, yes. but I'm fairly, fairly certain sure. that this is limited to the Orioles. Oh, okay, gotcha. Gosh, who is going to have the most ALDS dongs? The American League dong series. Yep. Goodness. Um, I'm going to go Cedric. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to take chalk and I'm going to go Gunner um, and just, just say it's going to be Gunner versus Cedric. Um, Can I explain my answer? I, I would I would love for you to explain this answer because I, I I'm flabbergasted with this 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 pick. I feel that, and I and I started this with I feel. Yes. So let's let's just leave it there. Yeah. I feel that Cedric has answered the call mm-hmm. in the big moments. So he's, he's got the clutch. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the clutch. He he is. Um, Adam Frazier slash Rugnetador plus. Yeah. In the fact that he's actually useful beyond the clutchiness. Sure. So I will point out um, for the month of September, uh, Cedric Mullins had a 51 rated wins created plus. Oh, you and I are going to have this conversation later. I'm aware. I am I know what's happening. What I'm telling you is this. this. Is cla- and again, this is where I've gone. I've done exactly what you've done the entire season, which is like, I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to pick the weird and the wacky. And look how well it has served me. Is those ways to describe it. And now I'm falling back onto old habits, as it were, and saying, no, I'm going to go with the logical choices. I'm going to go with the chalk choices on that basis. Um, but I'm going to still stick with Gunner on this basis. Scott, we have chosen our playoff roster yep. for the ALDS series. Yeah. So for Dongs, you have gone Gunner. I, I have really hope that Seti Cedric. does not go platoon on you in the, uh, in, 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 in the ALDS, especially with all the lefties. Potentially coming up. I think that Cedric is going to rise to the moment. So lefty on lefty dongs. The best kind. The best kind, especially coming from a lefty. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, uh, let's figure out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly in Birdland this past week. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Scotty, I'm going to get started as is our way with my good. And I, I, I want to recognize something that I think is important. For all of these good, bad, and the uglies, I look back from the 21st of September until today, which is basically two weeks, right? I cheated. Okay. But for the last two weeks, my good is Jorge Mateo. Yes, I said that out loud. loud. Yeah, absolutely. Because Jorge Mateo, not one of the stars on this team, but I constantly come back to who are the complimentary players. This past two weeks, one of the complimentary players was Jorge Mateo. He was absolutely useful in this last two weeks. 110 weighted runs created plus. And from your ninth place hitter, guy off the bench, you take that. Should have picked him for the dong category. <laughs> 6.7 walk rate and K rate. Okay. 
He had a 328 Woba, and he had a 333 Babip, which means that it's not just the Luck Dragon okay. talking. Yeah. Look, it's very possible that from a regular season standpoint that this was Jorge Mateo's swan song as an Oriole. Possible. And if that's the case, I want to remember him as the guy he was in the April of 2023. Yep. And the last two weeks of September in 2023. Yeah, that's a really good call out. And we talked about, you know, various heroes the entire season. And we can't overlook Jorge Mateo's performance in April being a big contribution to why the Orioles were so successful in April. Um, so you're absolutely right. I think it's actually a good call out of, you know, Jorge Mateo, as much as we have criticized him and basically said, like, he's hitting worse than J.J. Hardy, which he did for a good portion of the season. Uh, in April, the or- Jorge Mateo spurred the Orioles on to many wins. So, And in the stretch run, when everyone was tired, yep. when we were just trying to hang on, where we were wondering to ourselves, is this when we're going to blow it? He was one of the reasons we didn't blow it. Yeah. And, and, and could very well have been. Yeah. And for me, that's good enough. Yeah, and I, I think Mateo's an interesting one. We haven't talked about him at all on the podcast yet. Um, Mateo's going to obviously make the ALDS roster. Mateo, I think, is going to be that X factor. We saw it during Clinchmas where he made the boneheaded play to basically not come back uh-huh. and touch it. And he's made that kind of boneheaded play before on the basis, too, on that basis. I feel like there's going to be at least one moment during the ALDS that Mateo is either going to make it or break it for the Baltimore Orioles in terms of decision he's made. And again, we can go back to that Tampa Bay series. Mateo's speed at first base allowed him to score ups. Maybe somebody else would have scored as well, but Mateo made it. There was no doubt in your mind right. he was going to score. You up said that moment. Right. Um, so Mateo is definitely an X factor of like, you know, when I do the coin flip, he is one of those individuals that is either probably going to turn the series by you know, five percentage points is the best way to describe it. And, and may I just say, you know, very maligned is our Muppet of a manager. Sure. But I think that Hyde uses him tastefully. I don't think it's bad is the best way to describe it. I don't think it's bad. I, again, my bigger issue with it is Mateo sometimes gets so in the moment that he doesn't realize the moment. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how Mateo responds in a playoff scenario. Um, and with games on the line um, in, in the fashion that they are. Um, my good is going to go shared. Um, it's got to go to um, two individuals that we talked about, you know, going to be on the playoff roster and probably starting game one and game two. It's got to be Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an absolutely impressive, uh, you know, last week, but also, um, you know, September on that basis. Um, both posted a 1.1 F war um, during the month of September. Kyle Bradish posted a 2.06 ERA and a 2.60 FIP. Grayson Rodriguez posted a 2.17 ERA and a 2.32 uh, FIP on that basis. Um, both posted nearly identical stat lines from a K per nine standpoint. 9.77 for Kyle Bradish, 9.93 for Grayson Rodriguez, 2.06 for Kyle Bradish, and 2.17. Again, completely different pitchers in terms of how they're approaching batters, um, completely different aspect in terms of their pitcher arsenals, but both of those pitchers um, give you a degree of confidence going into any playoff series. Now that you're just like, oh my gosh, like our pitching can stand with the best of them against any rotation that we're going up against in the Major League Baseball playoffs, and that's a big deal 
because again, when we've looked at 2012 and looked at 2014, there's been many times we're like, all right, well, uh, we're going to see how our pitching does and we'll hopefully our batters hit. You know, this year, you know, when Bradish or Grayson Regas is on the mound, I'm like, you know, if the Orioles score three or four runs here, there's a possibility that you could potentially win this game. They say in the playoffs that good pitching stops good hitting. Yeah. It's really easy to be confident about those two guys. Yep. Because throughout the season, especially the second half, those two guys have risen to the moment. Yep. Whatever the moment was, whether it was, oh my God, the bullpen is incredibly taxed. We need somebody, somebody just to make a quality. Oh, oh, sorry. We're going to get seven, eight innings from our young starters. Yeah. Yes, sir. I'll take that. That's a great, great call out, Scotty. Yeah. All right, my bad this week is going to, well, this last two weeks, is going to go to Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins, a negative 38 weighted runs created plus, a 38.7K percentage, a 113 WOBA, and a 118 BABIP. Mm. Over the last two weeks, offensively, Cedric Mullins has basically disappeared. Mm. Not a good look from a player that you know, we have celebrated as being one of the pillars of the transition from terrible team to great team, one of the great stories of a guy who has overcome adversity, Cedric Mullins has been one of the, do we have veteran leadership on this team? As much as we do veteran leadership on this team, a guy that we have seen. I think it's as simple as a guy that was at the leadoff position, and now you're not even talking for him to even be sniffing the leadoff position where you're like, he needs to be in the six or seven spot going forward on this basis. And everyone looks at the top of Adley and Gunner. I mean, yeah, Adley and Gunner. Um, but for a long time there earlier this season, it was Seti. Um, and I do think that, you know, I think Seti's an interesting pick um, for playoff standpoint. We talk about this all the time. You know, superstars have a tendency to come out um, in the playoffs. I wasn't, wouldn't put Seti into that superstar category but we've also seen Baltimore Orioles in the past where superstars have disappeared. Adam Jones has disappeared. Um, in, in, Ryan in, Flaherty. Well, exactly. You've had Nate McClough and you've had Ryan Flaherty be your Orioles offensive heroes in the past, or even a Delvin Young being an offensive hero. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see, number one for the Baltimore Orioles, um, do your superstars of Adley and uh, Gunner, in essence, blossom in the, in the playoffs? And then the other question is, who is that secondary or even tertiary player that makes a name for himself in the playoffs? It could be Cedric Mullins and it could just be, you know, the month of September has been rough for him and maybe October kicks in and he just turns it on here. here here's here. hoping. Yeah. Um, you know, my bad is going to go to, I think Austin Hayes. Mm. Um, and honestly, he hasn't had been that bad offensively for the month of September posting a 92 weighted runs created plus. Um, but one thing that I've n- not enjoyed from Austin Hayes, and I think it's been slowly accelerating as the season progresses is Austin is currently at a 32.3% K rate, which seems a little high for me for Austin. Um, so I want to make sure that Austin is in essence being a little bit more cognizant that plate discipline is going to be imperative um, in the playoffs and extending plate appearances with pitches um, in essence benefits the rest of your team and gets into the bullpen. And as I talked about before the podcast, 
I think this is really going to become a series of who can get to the bullpens and who can get to the bullpens the quickest. Um, and the teams that get to the bullpen the quickest, I think are going to have a higher degree of success. I wouldn't say a full degree of success, but a higher degree of success um, than other teams that, in essence, don't get into the bullpens as quick. I think you're right. Can I express to you a wrong opinion? Sure. All of my opinions are wrong. This is the most wrong opinion. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If Austin Hayes plays a plus defensive left field, he has done his job for the Orioles playoff team. I tend to agree with you. Um, and I tend to agree with you maybe for the ALDS. What I would say is, as the Orioles further progressed into the ALCS and while into the World Series potentially, they're going to need players to, in essence, step up and, in essence, be surprise breakout players on that basis. And the question is, the Orioles haven't had the ability to do that in the past. If you go back and even take a look at the Tiger series, yes, Delman Young had his moment, but there really was no huge breakout moment except for that Delman Young moment. Um, and if you go to the 2012 series, there was none. Like I can't think of a single offensive breakout performance from that 2012 Yankee series. Um, and we're not even going to talk about the 2014 ALCS. Like that's been burned from my memory at this point. Well, I think the greatest offensive performance in the 2012 ALDS was probably Nate McClough, but the uh, the umpires took care of that. Correct, exactly. Um, but anyway, I, I think <laughs> it's going to be really important for someone like Austin, who, is, who was an all-star, to basically come out there and maybe not play like a Gunnar Henderson, but to play like, honestly, like an Aaron Hicks did in September. I mean, Aaron Hicks, you know, posed an amazing September. Um, you know, I didn't put, pick him as my good, but we haven't talked about him very much. Um, but in 81 plate appearances, um, 303 average, 432 on base percentage, um, and he 140 weighted runs created plus. So, yeah, like, no real pop from an ISO standpoint. No real home runs. Don't need it. But the man got on base. And the man fueled rallies on that basis by getting on base. So I, I want to see Austin Hayes be that, that Aaron Hicks was in September. I, I hear you. But what I think you're saying to me, Scott, and if I'm understanding correctly, sure. is that in the ALDS, Austin Hayes needs to walk so that in the ALCS, Ryan McKenna can run. I like that. I like that. <laughs> my ugly for this season. I'm sorry, for this last two weeks. My ugly for those last two weeks is Ryan O'Hearn, mm. who has been an incredible story. But that story seems to have a bit of a sour ending. In the last two weeks, Ryan O'Hearn has a negative 40 Weighted runs created plus a 6.1 walk rate against a 21% K rate, a 111 Woba, and a 087 Babip. It's a really disappointing end for Ryan O'Hearn, who want who really, really wanted to end the season hitting above 300. That would have been a major career accomplishment for him. Ended up at 289. He just, he ran out of the magic. He ran out of the bag of tricks. I'm hoping that the Orioles don't need Ryan O'Hearn because in the playoffs they will have 
an effective and healthy Ryan Mountcastle. Against a bunch of lefties. That having been said, ugly for the last two weeks, but you cannot, in good conscience, take away what Ryan O'Hearn has done this season as the cleanup hitter for a team that won 101 games, who had overcome... The guy was the OPS plus leader for the entire team. That's better than Gunner, better than Adley up until these last two weeks. The fifth best team in Orioles franchise history. Correct. A team that that ended an eight-year deficit for appearing in the playoffs. If there is a good story, a good, uh, uh, an emotionally good story for 2023, it is Ryan O'Hearn. But if there's an ugly for the last two weeks, it is also him. Jake, the obvious answer to what is ugly is there is none. You have to look back on this situation for the past two weeks and even the past week and just soak it in. It is like you're walking on a cloud is the best way to describe it as an Orioles fan. You've got people coming up to you. You're either talking to you. People are generally excited. People are talking about like, hey, can you give me an extra ticket? I want to be down there. I want to be experiencing it. Jake, your team just won the AL East. Your team just posted 101 wins. Your team is going to the ALDS. Your team has a great core of players that are going to be back next year, and it's going to be supplemented by additional players, including the number one prospect in minor league baseball, Jackson Holliday, um, who was named that at this time. Um, things have probably never been better for us as Orioles fans in our, in our lives. Um, and it's almost a situation like we, we started this podcast specifically on this basis of, you know, talking about how the Orioles are doing, you know, talk about some of the critiques of it and everything on that basis. Um, talk about some of the statistical analysis, talk about how the Orioles sometimes don't use statistical analysis. And now I look at it and I'm like, they're not perfect. They're human beings, both the front office and in, the, in that clubhouse. But it almost makes me like, what are we even doing here? I think we've been talking for close to 90 minutes is the best way to describe it. But it's such a different tone and tenure that has been uh, for this podcast for the past, gosh, 10 plus years at this point. Um, it almost makes me like, why are people turning in, tuning in just to hear two guys you know, in their 40s, in essence, um, sing praises on this aspect? But it's such a foreign standpoint to us. Um, and the fact of the matter is, that's really the most glorious thing about this whole thing is you look back at the whole situation um there is no ugly there is no ugly at the end of the day even if the orioles get swept like is my greatest fear in the alds i'm going to walk out of that and say it's okay because next year next year may be our year and we can always make that joke we always used to make that joke like that's the only day on opening day that you could say that but next year you're going to say the same thing you're like we'll probably we might not win 100 games we might not win 101 games but we're going to be right there fighting for a playoff spot tooth and nail. And if we get knocked out by someone in the wild card, let's maybe by the Rangers. Hey, maybe next year we're the wild card and we're knocking somebody else out in order to go to the world series. So there's no ugly right now in Baltimore. It's good times. Embrace it. And let's go. O's on that basis. Scott, everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. Yeah. Can I right right now, right now, can I just, 
acknowledge something for a second. Sure. I, I praised you for for uh, correctly predicting the Orioles clinching the AL East. I would also like to point out something. Mm. This is year 11, 11. for us We started in 2012 at the very beginning of the 2012 season before we even knew um, what magical season it is. And again, if you are so bold or adventurous to want to go and look at episode one, you can go to our website at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Uh, there's a little drop-down menu with all our episodes, and you can click to episode one. It is not on iTunes. iTunes only lets you post so many episodes. Um, but if you want to listen to episode one, we start that off with saying, well, Jake, we're trying this whole thing to do a podcast. Let's talk about the Baltimore Orioles for 2012. And my exact words were, do we have to? <laughs> and, and that was the sentiment yeah. of being an Orioles fan in that moment going into 2012, which is like, yeah, let's do this thing, but it's going to be absolutely terrible to have to deal with it. Here's one of the subjects from season one of, of Bird's Eye View that I think is interesting. We we worked really hard to marry the emotional um, fandom yep. with a more statistically bent analysis of the team. Yep. And I would just like to look at the fact that I, who am dumb, I am I am the feeler of emotions. You're a project manager. Let's just call it that much. <laughs> on this show. <laughs> but my good, bad, and the ugly, almost every week, yep. when it's an offensive player, it comes down to weighted runs create a plus. Yep. It comes down to a walk versus K rate. Yep. It comes down to WOBA. It comes down to BABIP. Yep. How many, These, how many times do you hear people still say, like, his average is this, he's got this many runs batted in, he's got this many runs scored, it pops up every so often, but that's not the nomenclature that is now being used on a day in and out basis. I really do feel that our view of the stats that matter have changed. Mm. You know, you, you mentioned this off off mic that Palmer, yep. you know, is talking about weighted runs create a plus. Absolutely. Talking about exit velocity, talking about the aspect of like what was the expected expected batting average on that? Should that have been a home run in another park? So you've got someone like Jim Palmer from the 1960s in essence saying, this makes sense. Yes, it's more advanced than what we've used in the past, but it makes sense in terms of the spirit of the game. How long do you think it'll be before the back of the baseball card stats are different? I mean, we talked about this briefly, but like there has already been productions by tops in the past um, where they have, in essence, posted stuff like WOBA, um ops plus i believe was one that they threw on there as well um so i mean i think it's already a part of the game i think the bigger question is you know we have seen this with national broadcasts where national broadcasts in certain instances will show more advanced stats and then some other ones go back to more of the generic slash boomer stats or the billy joel stats um as they were <laughs> um but i think it'll be interesting to see um Eventually, when do national broadcasts as a whole that are on ESPN or ABC or Fox start to switch over to more advanced stats that actually tell the entire story? Because certainly batting average doesn't tell the entire story. Sure. We we knew what it meant when somebody had an, a certain average, a certain number of RBI, yep. certain number of home runs. Yep. We're starting to understand what it means. For real stats. Yeah. 
Yeah, and like I said, I would say that you know some of those stats still absolutely matter. I mean, sure. um, batting average still matters to a certain degree. Home runs obviously still matter to a certain degree. RBIs, eh, we can argue about that. Um, but ultimately, it, it comes down to, I think people are starting to realize uh, the game within the game and the numbers within the numbers um, and how uh, an individual like you know Aaron Hicks, who we just covered, who again, not really hitting for a lot of pop, but showing that plate discipline and being able to get on base um, is a critical aspect to why the Orioles were so successful in, in September of this year. Scotty, things are great in Birdland yeah. at the moment. Let's leave it there. Let's blow the safe. Scotty, you talk a lot. Yes, about, we do. We talk a lot. No, no, you. Oh, okay. You talk a lot about baseball being the game of parents and children. Absolutely. Which I, I appreciate. You know, it's the expression is usually fathers and sons, parents and children. Um, my youngest kid, Henry, is going to turn 13 next week. Is that loud? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and one of the things that we connect on a lot... Uh, Henry and I is baseball. Uh, you know, he, he and I, he, uh, I'm the coach of his baseball team. Uh, and, and also we watch a lot of Orioles baseball together. Jabby Burns wouldn't sign him, huh? And this is, uh, this has been true for the longest of times. And so, you know, again, as his birthday approaches and, and this amazing Orioles season unfolds, I've been thinking a lot about a conversation he and I had back in 2015, and I, I'd like to just revisit that at this moment. Katie, Katie was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad, just to for the hometown through every two. What's your name? Henry. How old are you, Henry? Four. What is your favorite part of baseball? Mm, when they win the games. And do they usually win or do they usually lose? They usually win. Who's your favorite player? Chris Tillman, Adam Jones, um, Chris Davis. The Orioles are going to play a team called the Royals tonight. Who do you think is going to win? Orioles! What do you think the score is going to be tonight? Three to one. Three to one? I mean, five to one. Do you think that they'll win tomorrow? I'll think they'll lose tomorrow. Now, the Orioles just lost their last four games. How do you think it's going to go in the next four games? Mm, Lose. You said that you wanted to have an Orioles baseball party for your birthday? Do you know what month your birthday is in? October. Do the Orioles usually play baseball in October? No. Do you think maybe one year for your birthday they'll give you a present and they'll play in October? No. Can I tell you a secret? What? The Orioles haven't won the World Series since the year I was born. I know. (laughs) Do you think that they'll win the World Series by the time you're my age? Mm, No. All right, say goodbye. Get by home run. The boys she knew, she made the gang sing this song.
How old do you feel right now? Very. But I feel super old right now. I mean, I don't know when the last time I talked about Chris Tillman was. Here's the thing, Scotty. In order for there to be Orioles playoff baseball on October 11th, my son's 13th birthday, the Orioles will need to extend that series to four games. Mm -hmm. I do not want to sweep in the ALDS. If the Orioles can clinch an appearance in the American League Championship on October 11th, I will not be able to be convinced that this is not our year. For all of the things that we want for this season, Orioles baseball is in many ways the game of parents and children. The thing that matters so much for us is that we are able to show our kids what Orioles baseball should look like. And I desperately want this kid to have baseball on his birthday. And that, that is our show. You can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes birdseyeviewbaltimore.com Birds Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please, please, please rate, review the show. Uh, We appreciate the feedback. It also encourages us to come back for future seasons and continue to do this weird, wacky thing that we do. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com you'd like to praise Scott for his ability to correctly uh, guess when we'll clinch it, Scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on so- social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. We're on the ticks and the talks. We're on threads, but the best way to get a hold of us is on an app that used to be called Twitter, where we do a thing that used to be called tweeting at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. Playoff baseball is going to be pretty fun this year, Jake. I think so. You still here? It's over. Go home. Go.